Chapter Eleven, Part Two, of Run to Earth, a Novel, by Mary Elizabeth Braddon. This LibriVox recording is in the public domain. Recording by Gail Mattern. Chapter Eleven: The Will, the Testament, Part Two. Terrible indeed was the consternation which reigned that day at Raynham Castle. Already Sir Oswald's guests had been making hasty arrangements for their departure, and many visitors had departed even before the discovery of that awful event which came like a thunderclap upon all within the castle. Few men had ever been better liked by his acquaintances than Sir Oswald Eversleigh. His generous nature, his honourable character, had won him every man's respect. His great wealth had been spent lavishly for the benefit of others— his hand had always been open to the poor and necessitous. He had been a kind master, a liberal landlord, an ardent and devoted friend. There is little wonder, therefore, if the news of his sudden death fell like an overwhelming blow on all assembled within the castle, and on many more beyond the castle walls. The feeling against Honoria Eversleigh was one of unmitigated execration, no words could be too bitter for those who spoke of Sir Oswald's wife. It had been thought on the previous evening that she had left the castle forever, banished by the command of her husband. Nothing, therefore, could have exceeded the surprise which filled every breast when she entered the crowded hall some minutes after the discovery of Sir Oswald's death. Her face was whiter than marble, and its awful whiteness was contrasted by the black dress which she wore. "'Is this true?' she cried in accents of despair is he really dead yes lady eversleigh answered general desmond an indian officer and an old friend of the dead man sir oswald is dead let me go to him i cannot believe it i cannot i cannot she cried wildly let me go to him those assembled round the door of the library looked at her with horror and aversion to them the semblance of agony seemed only the consummate artifice of an accomplished hypocrite. "'Let me go to him, for pity's sake, let me see him,' she pleaded with clasped hands. "'I cannot believe that he is dead.' Reginald Eversleigh was standing by the door of the library, pale as death, more ghastly of aspect than death itself. He had been leaning against the doorway, as if unable to support himself, but, as Honoria approached, he aroused himself from a kind of stupor, and stretched out his arm to bar her entrance to the death-chamber. "'This is no scene for you, Lady Eversleigh,' he said sternly. "'You have no right to enter that chamber. You have no right to be beneath this roof.' "'Who dares to banish me?' she asked proudly. "'And who can deny my right?' "'I can do both, as the nearest relative of your dead husband.' "'And as the friend of Victor Carrington,' answered Honoria, looking fixedly at her accuser. "'Oh, it is a marvellous plot, Reginald Eversleigh, and it wanted but this to complete it. My disgrace was the first act in the drama, my husband's death the second. Your friend's treachery accomplished one. You have achieved the other. Sir Oswald Eversleigh has been murdered.' A suppressed cry of horror broke simultaneously from every lip, as the awful word murder was repeated. The doctor, who had been until this moment beside the dead man, came to the door and opened it. "'Who was it spoke of murder?' he asked. "'It was I,' answered Honoria. 
I say that my husband's death is no sudden stroke from the hand of heaven. There is one here who refuses to let me see him, lest I should lay my hand upon his corpse and call down heaven's vengeance on his assassin. The woman is mad, faltered Reginald Eversleigh. Look at the speaker, cried Honoria. I am not mad, Reginald Eversleigh, though by you and your fellow plotter I have been made to suffer that which might have turned a stronger brain than mine. I am not mad. I say that my husband has been murdered, and I ask all present to mark my words. I have no evidence of what I say except instinct, but I know that it does not deceive me. As for you, Reginald Eversleigh, I refuse to recognize your rights beneath this roof. As the widow of Sir Oswald, I claim the place of mistress in this house, until events show whether I have a right to it or not. These were bold words from one who, in the eyes of all present, was a disgraced wife who had been banished by her husband. General Desmond was the person who took upon himself to reply. He was the oldest and most important guest now remaining at the castle, and he was a man who had been much respected by Sir Oswald. I certainly do not think that any one here can dispute Lady Eversleigh's rights until Sir Oswald's will has been read and his last wishes made known. Whatever passed between my poor friend and his wife yesterday is known to Lady Eversleigh alone. It is for her to settle matters with her own conscience, and if she chooses to remain beneath this roof, no one here can presume to banish her from it except in obedience to the dictates of the dead. The wishes of the dead will soon be known, said Reginald, and then that guilty woman will no longer dare to pollute this house by her presence. I do not fear, Reginald Eversleigh, answered Honoria with sublime calmness. Let the worst come. I abide the issue of events. I wait to see whether iniquity is to succeed, or whether, at the last moment, the hand of Providence will be outstretched to confound the guilty. My faith is strong in Providence, Mr. Eversleigh, and now stand aside, if you please, and let me look upon the face of my husband. This time Reginald Eversleigh did not venture to dispute the widow's right to enter the death chamber. He made way for her to pass him, and she went in and knelt by the side of the dead. Mr. Dalton, the lawyer, was moving softly about the room, putting seals on all the locks, and collecting the papers that had been scattered on the table. The parish doctor, who had been summoned hastily, stood near the corpse. A groom had been dispatched to a large town, twenty miles distant, to summon a medical man of some distinction. There were few railroads in those days, no electric telegraph to summon a man from one end of the country to another. But all the most distinguished doctors who ever lived could not have restored Sir Oswald Eversleigh to an hour's life. All that medical science could do now was to discover the mode of the baronet's death. The crowd left the hall by and by, and the interior of the castle grew more tranquil. All the remaining guests, with the exception of General Desmond, made immediate arrangements for leaving the house of death. General Desmond declared his intention of remaining until after the funeral. "'I may be of some use in watching the interests of my dear friend,' he said to Reginald Eversleigh. "'There is only one person who will feel your uncle's death more deeply than I shall, and that is poor old Copplestone. He is still in the castle, I suppose?' "'Yes. He is confined to his room still by the gout.' 
Reginald Eversleigh was by no means pleased by the general's decision. He would rather have been alone in the castle. It seemed as if his uncle's old friend was inclined to take the place of master in the household. The young man's pride revolted against the general's love of dictation, and his fears, strange and terrible fears, made the presence of the general very painful to him. Joseph Millard had come to Reginald a little time after the discovery of the baronet's death, and had told him the contents of the new will. "'Master told us with his own lips that he had left you heir to the estate, sir,' said the valet. "'There was no need for it to be kept a secret,' he said. "'And we signed the will as witnesses, Peterson the butler, and me. "'And you are sure you have made no mistake, Millard? "'Sir Oswald, my poor, poor uncle, said that?' "'He said those very words, Mr. Eversleigh. "'And I hope, sir, now that you are master of Raynham, "'you won't forget that I was always anxious for your interests.' "'and gave you valuable information, sir, "'when I had little thought you would ever inherit the estate, sir.' "'Yes, yes, you will not find me ungrateful, Millard,' "'answered Reginald impatiently, "'for in the terrible agitation of his mind "'this man's talk jarred upon him. "'I shall reward you liberally for past services. "'You may depend upon it,' he added. "'Thank you very much, sir,' murmured the valet, about to retire. "'Stay, Millard.' said the young man. You have been with my uncle twenty years. You must know everything about his health. Did you ever hear that he suffered from heart disease? No, sir. He never did suffer from anything of the kind. There never was a stronger gentleman than Sir Oswald. In all the years that I have known him, I don't recollect his having a day's serious illness. And as to his dying of disease of the heart, I can't believe it, Mr. Eversleigh. But in heart complaint, death is almost always sudden, and the disease is generally unsuspected until death reveals it. Well, I don't know, sir. Of course, the medical gentlemen understand such things, but I must say that I don't understand Sir Oswald going off sudden like that. You'd better keep your opinions to yourself downstairs, Millard. If an idea of that kind were to get about in the servants' hall, it might do mischief. "'I should be the last to speak, Mr. Eversleigh. "'You asked me for my opinion, and I gave it to you candid. "'But as to expressing my sentiments in the servants' hall, "'I should as soon think of standing on my head. "'In the first place, I don't take my meals in the servants' hall, "'but in the steward's room, "'and it's very seldom I hold any communication whatever with under-servants. "'It don't do, Mr. Eversleigh. "'You may think me haughty, but it don't do.' If upper servants want to be respected by under-servants, they must first respect themselves. Well, well, Millard, I know I can rely upon your discretion. You can leave me now. My mind is quite unhinged by this dreadful event. No sooner had the valet departed than Reginald hurried from the castle and walked across the garden to the gate by which he had encountered Victor Carrington on the previous day. He had no appointment with Victor, and did not even know if he were still in the neighbourhood, but he fancied it was just possible the surgeon might be waiting for him somewhere without the boundary of the garden. He was not mistaken. A few minutes after passing through the gateway, he saw the figure of the peddler approaching him under the shade of the spreading beeches. "'I am glad you are here,' said Reginald. "'I fancied I might find you somewhere hereabouts.' "'and I have been waiting and watching about here for the last two hours. "'I dared not trust a messenger, and could only take my chance of seeing you. 
"'You have heard of—of—' of... "'I have heard everything, I believe. "'What does it mean, Victor? "'What does it all mean?' "'It means that you are a wonderfully lucky fellow, "'and that, instead of waiting thirty years "'to see your uncle grow a semi-idiotic old dotard, "'you will step at once into one of the finest estates in England.' "'You knew, then, that the will was made last night?' "'Well, I guessed as much. "'You have seen Millard?' "'No, I have not seen Millard.' "'How could you know of my uncle's will, then? "'It was only executed last night.' "'Never mind how I know it, my dear Reginald. "'I do know it. "'Let that be enough for you.' "'It is too terrible,' murmured the young man, after a pause. "'It is too terrible.' "'What is too terrible?' this sudden death. Is it? cried Victor Carrington, looking full in his companion's face with an expression of supreme scorn. Would you rather have waited thirty years for these estates? Would you rather have waited twenty years? Ten years? No, Reginald Eversleigh, you would not. I know you better than you know yourself, and I will answer for you in this matter. If your uncle's life had lain in your open palm last night, and the closing of your hand would have ended it. Your hand would have closed, Mr. Eversleigh, affectionate nephew though you be. You are a hypocrite, Reginald. You palter with your own conscience. Better to be like me and have no conscience than to have one and palter with it as you do. Reginald made no reply to this disdainful speech. His own weakness of character placed him entirely in the power of his friend. The two men walked on together in silence. "'You do not know all that has occurred since last night at the castle,' said Reginald at last. "'Lady Eversleigh has reappeared.' "'Lady Eversleigh? I thought she left Raynham yesterday afternoon.' "'So it was generally supposed. But this morning she came into the hall, and demanded to be admitted to see her dead husband. Nor was this all.' she publicly declared that he had been murdered and accused me of the crime this is terrible victor it is terrible and it must be put an end to at once but how is it to be put an end to asked reginald if this woman repeats her accusations who is to seal her lips the tables must be turned upon her if she again accuses you you must accuse her if sir oswald were indeed murdered who so likely to have committed the murder as this woman, whose hatred and revenge were no doubt excited by her husband's refusal to receive her back after her disgraceful flight? This is what you have to say, and as every one's opinion is against Lady Eversleigh, she will find herself in rather an unpleasant position, and will be glad to hold her peace for the future upon the subject of Sir Oswald's death. "'You do not doubt my uncle died a natural death, do you, Victor?' asked reginald with a strange eagerness you do not think that he was murdered no indeed why should i think so returned the surgeon with perfect calmness of manner no one in the castle but you and lady eversleigh had any interest in his life or death if he came to his end by any foul means she must be the guilty person and on her the deed must be fixed you must hold firm reginald remember the two men parted soon after this but not before they had appointed to meet on the following day, at the same hour, and on the same spot. Reginald Eversleigh returned to the castle, gloomy and ill at ease. 
and on entering the house he discovered that the doctor from Plimborough had arrived during his absence, and was to remain until the following day, when his evidence would be required at the inquest. It was Joseph Millard who told him this. "'The inquest? What inquest?' asked Reginald. "'The coroner's inquest, sir. It is to be held to-morrow in the great dining-room. Sir Oswald died so suddenly, you see, sir, that it's only natural there should be an inquest.' "'I'm sorry to say there's a talk about his having committed suicide, poor gentleman.' "'Suicide? Yes, yes, that is possible. "'He may have committed suicide,' murmured Reginald. "'That's very dreadful, isn't it, sir? "'The two doctors and Mr. Dalton, the lawyer, are together in the library. "'The body has been moved into the state bedroom.' "'The lawyer emerged from the library at this moment and approached Reginald. "'Can I speak with you for a few minutes, Mr. Eversleigh?' he asked. Certainly. He went into the library, where he found the two doctors and another person whom he had not expected to see. This was a country gentleman, a wealthy landed squire and magistrate, whom Reginald Eversleigh had known from his boyhood. His name was Gilbert Ashburn, and he was an individual of considerable importance in the neighborhood of Raynham, near which village he had a fine estate. Mr. Ashburn was standing with his back to the empty fireplace, in conversation with one of the medical men, when Reginald entered the room. He advanced a few paces to shake hands with the young man, and then resumed his favorite magisterial attitude, leaning against the chimney-piece with his hands in his trousers' pockets. "'My dear Eversleigh,' he said, "'this is a very terrible affair, very terrible.' "'Yes, Mr. Ashburn, my uncle's sudden death is indeed terrible. "'But the manner of his death. "'It is not the suddenness only, but the nature. "'You forget, Mr. Ashburn,' interposed one of the medical men. "'Mr. Eversleigh knows nothing of the facts which I have stated to you.' "'Ah, he does not. I was not aware of that. "'You have no suspicion of any foul play in this sad business, eh, Mr. Eversleigh?' asked the magistrate. No, answered Reginald. There is only one person I could possibly suspect, and that person has herself given utterance to suspicions that sound like the ravings of madness. You mean Lady Eversleigh? said the Raynham doctor. Pardon me, said Mr. Ashburn, but this business is altogether so painful that it obliges me to touch upon painful subjects. Is there any truth in the report which I have heard of Lady Eversleigh's flight on the evening of some rustic gathering? Unhappily, the report has only too good a foundation. My uncle's wife did take flight with a lover on the night before last, but she returned yesterday and had an interview with her husband. What took place at that interview I cannot tell you, but I imagine that my uncle forbade her to remain beneath his roof. Immediately after she had left him, he sent for me, and announced his determination to reinstate me in my old position as his heir. He would not, I am sure, have done this, had he believed his wife innocent. And she left the castle at his bidding? It was supposed that she left the castle, but this morning she reappeared and claimed the right to remain beneath this roof. And where had she passed the night? not in her own apartments. Of that I have been informed by her maid, who believed that she had left Raynham for good. Strange, exclaimed the magistrate. If she is guilty, why does she remain here, 
where her guilt is known, where she may be suspected of a crime, and the most terrible of crimes. Of what crime? Of murder, Mr. Eversleigh. I regret to tell you that these two medical gentlemen concur in the opinion that your uncle's death was caused by poison. A post-mortem examination will be made to-night. Upon what evidence? On the evidence of an empty glass, which is under lock and key in yonder cabinet, answered the doctor from Plimborough, and at the bottom of which I found traces of one of the most powerful poisons known to those who are skilled in the science of toxicology, and on the further evidence of diagnostics, which I need not explain, the evidence of the dead man's appearance, Mr. Eversleigh, that your uncle died from the effects of poison, there cannot be the smallest doubt. The next question to be considered is whether that poison was administered by his own hand or the hand of an assassin. He may have committed suicide, said Reginald with some hesitation. It is just possible, answered Gilbert Ashburn, though from my knowledge of your uncle's character, I should imagine it most unlikely. At any rate, his papers will reveal the state of his mind immediately before his death. It is my suggestion, therefore, that his papers should be examined immediately by you, as his nearest relative and acknowledged heir, by me, as magistrate of the district, and in the presence of Mr. Dalton, who was your uncle's confidential solicitor. Have you any objection to offer to this course, Mr. Eversleigh? Or, Sir Reginald, as I suppose I ought now to call you, it was the first time Reginald Eversleigh had heard himself addressed by the title which was now his own, that title which, borne by the possessor of a great fortune, bestows so much dignity, but which, when held by a poor man, is so hollow a mockery. In spite of his fears, in spite of that sense of remorse which had come upon him since his uncle's death, the sound of the title was pleasant to his ears, and he stood for the moment silent overpowered by the selfish rapture of gratified pride the magistrate repeated his question have you any objection to offer sir reginald none whatever mr ashburn reginald eversleigh was only too glad to accede to the magistrate's proposition he was feverishly anxious to see the will which was to make him master of raynham he knew that such a will had been duly executed he had no reason to fear that it had been destroyed but still he wanted to see it, to hold it in his hands, to have incontestable proof of its existence. The examination of the papers was serious work. The lawyer suggested that the first to be scrutinized should be those that he had found on the table at which Sir Oswald had been writing. The first of these papers which came into the magistrate's hand was Mary Goodwin's letter. Reginald Eversleigh recognized the familiar handwriting the faded ink and crumpled paper. He stretched out his hand at the moment Gilbert Ashburn was about to examine the document. "'That is a letter,' he said, "'a strictly private letter, which I recognize. It is addressed to me, as you will see, and posted in Paris nearly two years ago. I must beg you not to read it.' "'Very well, Sir Reginald. I will take your word for it. The letter has nothing to do with the subject of our present inquiry.' Certainly, a letter, posted in Paris two years ago, can scarcely have any connection with the state of your uncle's mind last night. The magistrate little thought how very important an influence that crumpled sheet of paper had exercised upon the events of the previous night. 
Gilbert Ashburn and the lawyer examined the rest of the packet. There were no papers of importance, nothing throwing any light upon late events except Lady Eversleigh's letter and the will made by the baronet immediately after his marriage. "'There is another and later will,' said Reginald eagerly, "'a will made last night, and witnessed by Millard and Peterson. "'This earlier will ought to have been destroyed.' "'It is not of the least consequence, Sir Reginald,' replied the solicitor. "'The will of latest date is the true one, if there should be a dozen in existence.' "'We had better search for the will made last night,' said Reginald anxiously. The magistrate and the lawyer complied. They perceived the anxiety of the expectant heir, and gave way to it. The search occupied a long time, but no second will was found. The only will that could be discovered was that made within a week of the baronet's marriage. "'The will attested last night must be in this room,' exclaimed Reginald. "'I will send for Millard, and you shall hear from his lips an exact account of what occurred.' The young man tried in vain to conceal the feeling of alarm which had taken possession of him. What would be his position if this will should not be found? A beggar steeped in crime. He rang the bell and sent for the valet. Joseph Millard came and repeated his account of the previous night's transaction. It was clear that the will had been made. It was equally clear that if it were still in existence, it must be found in that room— for the valet declared that his master had not left the library after the execution of the document. "'I was on the watch and on the listen all night, you see, gentlemen,' said Joseph Millard, "'for I was very uneasy about master, knowing what trouble had come upon him, and how he'd never been to bed all the night before. I thought he might call me at any minute, so I kept close at hand. There's a little room next to this, and I sat in there with the door open.' and though I dropped off into a doze now and then, I never was sound enough asleep not to have heard this door open, if it did open. But I'll take my Bible oath that Sir Oswald never left this room after me and Peterson witnessed the will. Then the will must be somewhere in the room, and it will be our business to find it, answered Mr. Ashburn. That will do, Millard. You can go. The valet retired. Reginald recommenced the search for the will, assisted by the magistrate and the lawyer, while the two doctors stood by the fireplace, talking together in suppressed tones. This time the search left no crevice unexamined. But all was done without avail, and despair began to gain upon Reginald Eversleigh. What if all the crime, the falsehood, the infamy of the past few days, had been committed for no result? He was turning over the papers in the bureau for the third or fourth time, with trembling hands, in the desperate hope that somehow or other the missing will might have escaped former investigations, when he was arrested by a sudden exclamation from Mr. Missenden, the Plimborough surgeon. "'I don't think you need look any farther, Sir Reginald,' said this gentleman. "'What do you mean?' cried Reginald eagerly. "'I believe the will is found.' "'Thank heaven!' exclaimed the young man. "'You mistake, Sir Reginald,' said Mr. Missenden, who was kneeling by the fireplace, looking intently at some object in the polished steel fender. "'If I am right, and that this really is the document in question, I fear it will be of very little use to you.' "'It has been destroyed!' gasped Reginald. "'I fear so. This looks to me like the fragment of a will.' He handed Reginald a scrap of paper, 
which he had found amongst a heap of grey ashes. It was scorched to a deep yellow colour and burnt at the edges, but the few words written upon it were perfectly legible nevertheless. These words were the following. Nephew, Reginald Eversleigh, Raynham Castle Estate, All lands and tenements appertaining, Sole use and benefit. This was all. Reginald gazed at the scrap of scorched paper with wild, dilated eyes. All hope was gone. There could be little doubt that this morsel of paper was all that remained of Sir Oswald Eversleigh's latest will. And the will made previously bequeathed Raynham to the testator's widow, a handsome fortune to each of the two Dales, and a pittance of five hundred a year to Reginald. The young man sank into a chair, stricken down by this overwhelming blow. His white face was the very picture of despair. "'My uncle never destroyed this document,' he exclaimed. "'I will not believe it. Some treacherous hand has been thrust between me and my rights. Why should Sir Oswald have made a will in one hour and destroyed it in the next? What could have influenced him to alter his mind?' As he uttered these words, Reginald Eversleigh remembered that fatal letter of Mary Goodwin, which had been found lying uppermost amongst the late baronet's papers. That letter had caused Sir Oswald to disinherit his nephew once. Was it possible that the same letter had influenced him a second time? But the disappointed man did not suffer himself to dwell long on this subject. He thought of his uncle's widow, and the triumph that she had won over the schemers who had plotted so basely to achieve her destruction. A savage fury filled his soul as he thought of Honoria. "'This will has been destroyed by the one person most interested in its destruction,' he cried. "'Who can doubt now that my uncle was poisoned, and the will destroyed by the same person? And who can doubt that person to be Lady Eversleigh?' "'My dear sir,' exclaimed Mr. Ashburn, "'this really will not do. "'I cannot listen to such accusations "'unsupported by any evidence.' "'What evidence do you need "'except the evidence of truth?' "'cried Reginald passionately. "'Who else was interested in the destruction of that paper? "'Who else was likely to desire my uncle's death? "'Who but his false and guilty wife? "'She had been banished from beneath this roof.' She was supposed to have left the castle, but instead of going away, she remained in hiding, waiting her chances. If there has been a murder committed, who can doubt that she is the murderess? Who can question that it was she who burnt the will which robbed her of wealth and station, and branded her with disgrace? "'You are too impetuous, Sir Reginald,' returned the magistrate. I will own there are grounds for suspicion in the circumstances of which you speak, but in such a terrible affair as this there must be no jumping at conclusions. However, the death of your uncle by poison immediately after the renunciation of his wife, and the burning of the will which transferred the estates from her to you, are, when considered in conjunction, so very mysterious, not to say suspicious, that I shall consider myself justified in issuing a warrant for the detention of Lady Eversleigh, upon suspicion of being concerned in the death of her husband. I shall hold an inquiry here to-morrow, immediately after the coroner's inquest, and shall endeavour to sift matters most thoroughly. If Lady Eversleigh is innocent, 
her temporary arrest can do her no harm she will not be called upon to leave her own apartments and very few outside the castle or indeed within it need be aware of her arrest i think i will wait upon her myself and explain the painful necessity yes and be duped by her plausible tongue cried reginald bitterly she completely bewitched my poor uncle do you know that he picked her up out of the gutter and knew no more of her past life than he knew of the inhabitants of the other planets if you see her she will fool you as she fooled him i am not afraid of her witcheries answered the magistrate with dignity i shall do my duty sir reginald you may depend upon it reginald eversleigh said no more he left the library without uttering a word to any of the gentlemen the despair which had seized upon him was too terrible for words alone locked in his own room he gnashed his teeth in agony fools dolts idiots that we have been with all our deeply laid plots and subtle scheming he cried as he paced up and down the room in a paroxysm of mad rage she triumphs in spite of us she can laugh us to scorn and victor carrington the man whose intellect was to conquer impossibilities what a shallow fool he has shown himself after all i thought there was something superhuman in his success so strangely did fate seem to favour his scheming and now at the last when the cup was at my lips it is snatched away and dashed to the ground end of chapter eleven part two